This show is part of the WND Podcast Network. If you'd like to check out more shows from WND, please head to our website at wndpress.com backslash podcast to see our current lineup. Only publishers die, you fucking idiot! So we're at 200 episodes. That's stupid. <laughs> yeah, we made it. And you didn't think we could. I don't know. That's some kind of imagined thing I have that people are saying that we can't do it. Was that a goalpost for you? We continually prove them wrong. Isn't that what this is? I think that's called um, the fallacy of sunk costs. Like, I think that what, oh, I think the idea is go. that like here we, we it, like it's like you, you're pouring so much into something that's just not paying back. Mm hmm. I've been paying ten dollars a month for it for years. <laughs> uh-huh. It's just it's it's the back door onto the show, and then you threw away all of our stickers. <laughs> only only some of them. Your stickers, them. your stickers that put me on the couch for two or three nights. <laughs> your, our stickers uh, caused a ruckus that caused a problem. Yep. Would you care to elaborate? Well, didn't I tell you? Like I put um, I put one of them on. Uh, or I covered Jenny's water bottle in them. Oh, really mad. <laughs> that was and that was enough. Yep, she was pretty mad. How did you not op- open the show with? I bet you thought I wouldn't make it, but I'm better in it. <laughs> <laughs> I did, I hadn't thought of it. You're the you're the creative here. I'm not. That's not that's not my that's not my shtick on the show. That's a line from our band, from our old band. Yeah, said by someone who we will talk about tonight. What band was that? We're not dead. Was oh okay. I don't remember being in that band. You don't even you don't even know your own discography. Hi everybody. Wow. Welcome to I don't want to hear it. I'm Mikey. I'm Shane. And we have a a a, re- a recurring guest. <laughs> I'm really yeah, I'm not a special <laughs> guest anymore. There's nothing special about me. I'm just a co-host who's here only slightly more than Chad. Yep. yep, yep. <laughs> we got Matt Moment in the house for episode 200. Uh, he's in his house. I'm in my house. Shane is, is in his house. But We're all in separate houses. Yeah, hey. yeah. Figuratively speaking, Matt is here to ring in the big two hundo with us. It is quite the momentous occasion, and uh, we're very glad to have him. Hello, Matt. How are you? Good. Good. I'm proud of you guys. You're really you're slinging that tent. <laughs> you guys are... Are uh, you stuck with it? Here we are at 200. Mm-hmm. The band hasn't broken up. Um, Shane hasn't started a new podcast without Mikey, but then just told Mikey not to come to practice, <laughs> only for Mikey to find out later that it's the same podcast, but with just a different co-host. <laughs> <laughs> hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Shane hasn't hasn't launched. I don't want to schmear it. His, <laughs> this is my bagel podcast. Bagel, bagel <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Actually, that's not a bad idea. Bagels and yeah. punk podcast called "I Don't Want to Schmear It" is yeah. not a bad idea. That's we just talk. Great, we just man. talk about punk rock over breakfast. <laughs> yep, there you go. Well, this is how it starts. Before <laughs> before we get into our topic at hand today, which today it's it's uh, we're going to do a little bit of a nostalgia episode. We're going to be talking about a uh, a shit pit that we all used to live in. Well, there's two of them. So Matt and I were sort of involved with one, and Shane was more involved in the other. But Shane went to the Sixth Street house, the original Sixth Street house, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, I went there a couple times. I never yeah. lived in either of them though, on purpose. But you met your wife at one. I did. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, that was the second one. But uh, yeah, I never, I never lived in them though. 
Okay. Well, I barely lived uh, in the no, one. No, I didn't meet her. No, I didn't meet her there. I met her. I met her many, many years ago, but re-met her there. Well, you kissed her for the very first time there, and I ruined it. So that's true. You did that's scream ill, very loud. <laughs> ah! uh, but I think before we get into it, you know, Matt, you know, the new your band contact is putting out a new record, and uh, mm. of, of which I have pre-ordered. Yeah, I've not received it yet. However, no. when is the release date of Contact's new record? So the record has dropped digitally, um, so you can get it on Spotify and iTunes. The vinyl, um, as some of you may already know, uh, from maybe trying to put your own records out, is a little delayed. Um, <laughs> every time a punk label tries to put something out, Taylor Swift decides she's putting something out, and it goes on vinyl, and it goes to Target. And I'm not really that mad at it, because I've bought some cool records <laughs> <laughs> but um and yeah it, it should be shipping actually i know for a fact that it will be shipping by two weeks from now so it'll be to your door by the end of the year um but is available digitally as we speak see i did not know it was available digitally i was waiting for the confirmation that uh yeah. my vinyl had been delivered yeah well you can listen to it now on spotify itunes Title Amazon Music. Wait, what's title? Title's Jay-Z's, the Jay-Z's it, thing. Jay-Z's uh, platform. I have no idea what you're talking about. T-I-D-A-L, title. Yep. It's a real thing. Apparently the thing with it is that it's supposed to sound better on title. Like everything's everything on title is supposed to be of a higher fidelity. I don't know that that's true or not. Is it the I same shit have, as Spotify? It's streaming. I've never met anyone who uses it in real life. Mm. But um yeah so you can listen to it now and you can pre-order the vinyl and it'll get to you relatively quickly i'd say if you if you ordered it now it would come to you in a normal amount of time what's the name of the record again because i really like the title but i i fuck it up every time before and through and beyond all time yes i like that spooky spooky (laughs) and you named it that for what reason um he likes he likes clocks <laughs> yeah, no, because I hate clocks. Because clocks are just because co- clocks are just the physical manifestation of a construct that binds us all, but isn't real. <laughs> yeah, no, um, you saw that scene from Hook, and you're like, "Fuck cuckoo clocks." Yeah, I hate them. Uh, let's see. I got that from sort of a mixture of different teachings, but there's this concept in like contemplative meditation about like deep time, where you sort of like slip out of time you ever have you ever heard that um pete holmes bit about um where he tells everybody to check to see if they need to pee yeah yeah (laughs) where he's like on the count of three everyone in this room check to see you know and then he's like where did you go just now (laughs) you know or like where does your where does your consciousness go when you sleep you know you just fall backwards into a chocolate waterfall um And so it's this idea that like there's a piece of ourself that's sort of connected to the larger reality that both exists within and transcends the concept of time. Hmm. It's deep, man. I like it. I like it. (laughs) I like it. Well, yeah, guys, we're going to put the link up, but we have been putting the link up. So if you haven't been checking the episode notes, then you haven't been clicking it. So fuck off. Um, but they're there and I write them every week and nobody reads them. I do. I always go because whenever you reference something, I want to listen to it because Uh. it's a primary means by which I discover recent music. I've actually been pretty lazy about putting the links in there lately. So I guess I'll have to get back on that, but better. mm, Don't, don't you. 
Well, before we get into uh, hucking some stories back and forth, why don't we go ahead and do a Forgotten Freshness? I'm in an ape suit. That means I don't give a fuck. Well, I'm getting paid. Everybody sit there and shut the fuck up while I'm peeling caps like bananas, motherfucker. So my Forgotten Freshness is a grindcore band. Uh, after we had seen Cattle Decapitation, it reminded me all the, of all the bands that I liked when I was younger. And um, this is a band that came up. This band was introduced to me by Scuba, uh, from Scuba Steve. He had given me this band at some point in time. I found a CD somewhere. And that band is called He Who Corrupts. I remember this band. <laughs> so um, if you're not familiar with He Who Corrupts, they are a grindcore band. Uh, and they are uh, basically known for being a corporate grindcore band like that's the whole <laughs> shtick like they are uh yeah yeah well they're like uh they they, they they the idea is that they sold out so like they put out uh records like ride the limo and instead of master of puppets it was master of profits um <laughs> and they go they they are known as a uh, hugh krupp's megacorp uh and they are also sometimes uh called hard corporate <laughs> so that's like their that's like their whole shtick. So um, they are a band out of Chicago, and they have put out a couple records. They put out the discographer. They put out, um, like I said, Master of Profits. But they put out a ton of splits, um, and they also put out Ten Steps to Success, which is like the the big album that everybody knows about. Um, is but there they put out an agoraphobic nosebleed split in there? Uh, there is, uh, I'm going to, I'll, I'll give them to y'all. So there's a Wilbur Cobb split, Tusk, God Stomper, Third Degree, Infestation of Ass, um, <laughs> Don't Worry About It, For Dire Life's Sake, Fork Knife Spoon, um, and then they put out, uh, let's see, and then Graf Orlock, and then Chica X, but then they also put out some EPs, um, one was Master of Profits, one of them was called The Smell of Money, and the other one was called Microeconomics, um, and so they, so like, that's their, that's like their whole thing, um, they are known for being kind of like all over the place. To 2022, they put out um, a, a compilation of all of their songs, um, and it is 53 songs, and it's only an hour. <laughs> oh, that's good. So yeah, I would have assumed fun. they I would mean, have done a split with Agoraphobic Nosebleed, given the time. But you would think so. Um, I mean, they have songs like um, uh, "Checking Mike Marker" and then "Mike Marker Checked," or like the two songs right back back to back. Um, uh, let's see. What is their uh, shortest intri- song? Um, their shortest song is, let's see, this one's 50 seconds. It's called linguistic violations. Um, <laughs> this one's 28 seconds. It's called where's the fucking ball. Um, <laughs> this one's 17 seconds and it's, you drop the ball. <laughs> There's a running theme here. Yeah. I mean, all like they have like the whole thing is like, they do sound samples of them introducing like offers, like commercials and stuff. They dress in suits when they play, they are uh, like a corporate band. That's the joke. So, um, the they have a song called Sell 'em All. <laughs> so that's they're fun. They're fun. It's a fun revisit to that time. Um, because this was like early two thousands and they are very jokey, but I think they do it pretty well. That's cool. I have to check yep. them out again. I remember listening to them before. It's not good. <laughs> okay. It reminds me there used to be this grind band called Major Label Bidding War. <laughs> Uh, that band has got to be totally lost to time, but I really enjoy the running gimmick for grind bands of like, obviously this is unlistenable, so we're going to pretend like 
were going to be a big deal or can sell out or did sell out. <laughs> yeah, it's hilarious. Um, so Contact recently did a thing I didn't think I would do at 38 and went on tour. And uh, there were some long drives, and so there's some very strange trips down memory lane um, during the drives of, of music. Everybody playing their old stuff, and, and you know what did they like? And one of the things that came up somehow was um, a band that we have all seen on several occasions, uh, and that band is called Horse the Band. <laughs> <laughs> Guys... You may not remember that Horse of the Band is pretty good. Yeah, they're fun. They're fun. I um, was just I they they came up not too long ago because I'm pretty sure they played on the street that I live on now. Yes, I it was like Yeah, Tim Tim's Stoll's house. house. Tim Stoll's parents' house. Yeah. I, and I, I I'm I'm almost certain it's on the same street that I that I live on right now. That's very likely. It um you know, in a time when like gimmicks and and digital, especially like digitized type gimmicks or like digital elements and different types of music, um, even vis-a-vis turnstile um, type things is so common. I think remembering that they, I want, I'm not going to say did it first, but like really had something. Like you remember yeah. the keyboard? Yeah. The keyboard he had was like, it was like the actual, it wasn't the keyboard that Koji Kondo used, but it was the actual kind of keyboard that they used to write like 16-bit music on. The yeah, chiptune thing, like to make yeah. chiptunes with. Yeah, it was not. It was not like a Moog synthesizer or something that was made to sound like a video game uh, lead. It was actually the equipment that they would use to make video game music. <laughs> yeah, in the eighties and nineties. Um, and man, you know when they would start talking about cuts, man, people would, <laughs> people would go nuts. Cut. Cut. I mean, Cut. we were going nuts. <laughs> Like yeah, uh, and then actually the one the, there was the record that Cutsman was on, and then the one after that it was like Borlax or whatever. Uh, our Borlax, uh, yeah, our Borlax, and it had the song about the um the the pink thing in Mario Two that shoots the eggs and you have to catch them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Birdo, uh, Birdo, yeah, Birdo. It had a song <laughs> called Birdo on it that was brutal. Also, <laughs> all of the songs in our Borlax opened with just like sound clips from pornography. <laughs> <laughs> and band was out band, of their minds. That band was out of their mind. Like that was something special. I think everybody's trying to do something different, and they really did. Um, and, but then throughout all of it, also their their breakdowns were like were crazy, and like not formulaic, like super super chaotic, but 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 violence inducing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They have a song on uh, uh, the record that came out. It was the third full length called Natural Death. There's a song on it just called Sex Raptor. (laughs) (laughs) I remember seeing them at Tim's house, which could very well have been your house now. And then I also remember, (laughs) wouldn't that be something? And I remember seeing them at the Coffee Connection. Little Chris put the show on. I I don't know why I said Little Chris. Chris Tharp is what we refer to him as. But I remember he booked the show, and I think he said that was the only show he ever booked or would book because he hated it. I might be putting words in, <laughs> I might be putting words in his mouth, but I, I remember him. I felt like he was a little stressed out about it, which is totally understandable. But a lot of kids packed nicely for that one. I couldn't yeah. even get inside. I tried to push my way in the back door. It wasn't working. I just sat outside. It was. It was at the Coffee Connection. Well, no, they it, was played, at, it was at Nicely's too. They played, they played it at, at Coffee too. Connection too. 
They played the first a lot. time I saw, yeah, the first time I saw Horse the Band was at the Coffee Connection, and that was wild. Yeah, we have seen them three times at least in wow. Daytona. That's um, crazy. It was it was like it was pretty long ago. I remember Chris Labby was at that show, oh, so wow. I might have still, I may have just dropped out of high school. I might have still been in high school when they played, <laughs> but it was wild. Well, I was definitely still in high school because they hadn't put out the mechanical hand yet. Um, and they, oh, yeah. I, it, they came through. They had the bunny. Was it the bunny EP or the bunny demo? That was the mm-hmm. first time they came through. And then when they put out our Borlax, that was like the second time they had come through. And I remember seeing them on that. Like, so that, yeah, and that came out in 2003. So I was definitely still in high school. Have yeah, those, you definitely were. Yeah. Have those guys done anything else since? In 2013, they put a full length out called Desperate Living with songs like um, Golden Mummy, Golden Bird. <laughs> No, I mean, have the members gone? Uh, I'm gonna look at Discogs. Have the members done anything else? And if so, what? Wow, they have had a lot of members. Let's see what David Eisen is doing. Also goes as DJ Danny Maverick. The Horse the Band is an institution. <laughs> well, he's just he's only done Horse the Band. What has Daniel Pulehu done? He was in Bleeding Kansas. And- oh, that band was good. End on end, and he was in, is it Isla June? Shane, you know this, right? I have no idea what you're saying. They sounded dumb. I figured you knew who they were. Oh, cool. What about Andy Stokes? Just horse the band. Well, they have had a lot of members. I guess they've done some things. Okay. All right. Okay. They they also say on Discogs, one of the names they went by was H the B. (laughs) Nobody (laughs) called them that. I I do think they, if I'm not mistaken, they did announce that they're doing something um, new. Like I think that they're back together. Wow, I would I would go to that. Like if I found out that they were playing tomorrow somewhere in Richmond, I would go out of my way to go to it. But is yeah, that really says, going out of your way if it's in Richmond? Yeah, <laughs> leaving my house to do anything is going out of my way. <laughs> yeah, they if, so, unless unless the unless unless the venue is between here and my office. It is going out of my way. <laughs> yeah, so right. they they tease that they are uh, they are putting out or they have put out a three song EP in 2020 called Your Fault. Oh wow! Hmm. Wait, so they did put it out or they teased that they were putting it? It out? says on their Wikipedia that they have teased it in October 2020, but I don't know that it's out. It's not. I'm not seeing it anywhere. Interesting. No, yeah, it's out. It's out on. Uh, it's out on. Uh, on uh, Spotify, it's on there. Um, so they did put out that Your Fault EP um, along with the Pizza EP in two thousand six. Hmm. Interesting. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if I care to catch up. <laughs> but I did really like their first two records. <laughs> yeah, they were fun. Well, I got a band, um, not as aged as those two, but a few years later. Um, so, well, actually I didn't really know about them until the 2004, 2005, but they actually, I'm looking at this now. They've been a band since 99, but they've broken up a bunch of times and they're no longer a band at the moment. It's Morrissey. Yep. Yep. That's what it is. Um, the band is Ladderman. Ooh, good band. Good band. Man. So the band that, the band that arguably birthed the genre org core. (laughs) Yep. So Ladderman was from Huntington, New York, melodic punk rock band. They had shared vocals. So it always sounded like a big chorus of people singing. 
very anthemic, very catchy, very fun. And I just hadn't listened to him in a really long time. And I put together a playlist for the show called Three of the Greatest Punk Rock Bands Ever, You Idiot. And it contains Ladderman and the spinoff bands, Reviver and Iron Sheik. It doesn't contain the other spinoff band from Ladderman because Ladderman birthed all these bands, including Tender Defender, who I know you like. I'm not a huge fan, but not they a bad like Ladderman. Well, I mean, they're not a bad band, but they weren't. They just didn't move me in the way that the the others did. But uh, Shorebirds is not on Spotify, but that is also a band that these guys did. Was and, were was Ladderman? Uh, was Heads versus Breakers a Ladderman spinoff? No, nah, they were from Long Island. They were oh, just right. they were one of those bands that was like I think they they didn't have members of the backup plan, but they were like grouped in with them because they were all from the same area. But they were members of Silent Majority. It was like the singer of Silent Majority. It wasn't the singer. That was Capital. But I think it one was of the guitar guitarists. Player. Yeah, you're probably right about that. You know what's crazy is Matt that ran um, Red Leader Records. Mm-hmm. It just relaunched Wildcats, the comic, and is like writing for Marvel regularly. Wow. <laughs> it's wild. Weird. Yeah, he is like a somebody in comics now. Well, for Ladderman, um, they did their little demo in 2000. None of these songs are about girls. Not super great. They did the split seven inch with Nakatomi Plaza also that same year. Uh, Blast from the Past. Uh, they're an old church band. And yeah. uh, then they did Turn Up the Punk, We'll Be Singing in 2002, which was great. They did No Matter Where We Go in 2005, which is my favorite. And they did We Are Still Alive, which is really, really good in 2006. And then they released like a one song single in 2016 or something and then nothing else it's called our better halves no it was 2011 i was wrong but i've just always loved this band from the first time i heard them it was so anthemic every song is a sing-along every song is so much fun and so melodic and they spawned some of the greatest punk bands i think of the last 20 years because iron chic and reviver and shorebirds are all fantastic bands that I, i was just listening to iron chic today while i was grading papers and the bass player from Reviver was also in a band called Hookie. That's oh, yeah? Good. Oh, yeah? yeah? Pretty good. Uh, you know what they sound like? What? Sound like Reviver. They sound like Reviver? <laughs> yeah. Reviver's great, man. They sound just like Ladderman, and Iron Sheik sounds pretty much like Ladderman, and Shorebird sounds like Ladderman, and Ladderman sounds great. So you can't go wrong with any of those <laughs> bands, and you got to listen to the playlist whenever Shane finds the time to fucking post it. And uh, check out Ladderman. I will link them in the show notes. Man, I don't want to. I don't want to take the piss out of Ladderman, but this kind of makes me just want to talk about Nakatomi Plaza. <laughs> <laughs> I, I never I bought that CD. I, I haven't listened to it in a long time. I never super liked that band, but I can remember seeing them at the church and it being one of those moments of like, oh, music is not what I thought it was. <laughs> yeah, like there are whole like dimensions of music that I don't understand. Yeah, they were like a cool, like they were like a cool indie, like kind of an indie band. Yeah. Yeah, they were like I would call them an emo band, but they something about them live was just different. Well, they are on Spotify and they have 69 monthly followers. Wow. <laughs> Truly a forgotten freshness. This has been a whole a whole there's been a whole lot of those whole trove of forgotten freshnesses. Well, do you guys want to talk about living like animals in a hovel? Sure. All right. yeah. Wait, hold on. Yeah, I would like for us three to talk about just me living like an animal in a hovel. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be super clear about that. That is true, because I used to go home at the end of the night to a clean yeah. home. <laughs> yes, that's right. You did. 
Well, so this episode, guys, we're going to talk about a, a legendary place in Daytona hardcore lore. And that is, of course, the Sixth Street House. We will, of course, talk about the Sixth Street House number two, but we have to cover the original, the OG, because it was a place like no other place. It was a place stuck in time, and it's still there. The building's still there, but I imagine it doesn't look anything on the inside like it did when we were under its roof. Um, the Bad Boys so- 2 posters are, are stuck on the walls. <laughs> they can't paint over them, and they can't remove them. So I think everybody who has some experience in punk rock has the punk rock house story, the experience. Like there was, here was the place where we all hung out, even if you didn't live there. I lived there for a whopping two weeks. Shane visited. You know, we we were always we were always there, but Matt truly lived there, and Matt, Matt I think a part of you died there. But yeah. We it really did. <laughs> since we often get the stories wrong because we color them with whatever we're feeling at the moment and we exaggerate like idiots. I want I want to see what you can remember about arriving at the Sixth Street house in Holly Hill, Florida in what, two thousand two, two thousand one? It would have been two thousand mm, two thousand two, I think. Might have been two thousand three. Okay. Maybe beginning maybe beginning of beginning of 2003. Because it's integral it was integral to our band Total Recall and yeah. I also wrote a whole chapter about Total Recall and the 6th Street House in my upcoming book Young Till I'm Old and it'll be out uh, before uh, Christmas. But um yeah, I well so I want to preface any conversation about this house uh with you know, hindsight's 2020, right? So <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I have no doubt that there were some people who darkened the doors of that space that were probably harmed by it. Uh, and for that, not to bring the tone down, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I, I, we all have fond memories or fondish memories. But uh, yeah, I have... I, yeah, I have no doubt that uh, somebody probably ended up in therapy talking about walking in on me and Eddie naked. Uh <laughs> Or, you know, having chemi- chemicals, harmful chemicals poured into orifices of their bodies or um, or just generally trying to be not a male uh, presence in that in that in that space. <laughs> it's probably not great. So, you know, just want to acknowledge that up front. So what do I remember about moving in? It was a wild couple of years for me. Uh, definitely life defining couple of years for me from the time that I dropped out of high school to the time that I moved to Richmond. Um, I, we were living and when I say we, I won't name names, me and some other people who would continue to be involved in our group of friends for some reason. Um, we're living in a place called the Carolina club, which also still stands. It was a yes. rent controlled, uh, apartment building, which when you hear that, it sounds like a nice way to say a project, but it wasn't. It was probably the nicest place I've ever lived almost up until this point. I lived there um, later after you guys left. I lived there with a certain somebody who shall remain nameless who used to flip tires, but we had Je- we had mold. Jesse in lived our, there too. Yeah, we all lived there at some point. Yeah, Jesse lived there too, and Jesse also had mold, and Jesse also lived with somebody who can go flip tires. Yeah, we uh, we, we they they didn't treat the mold; they just left it. We all stood the risk of getting broccoli lung. I seem to remember that when we lived in the Carolina Club, it was fairly new. 
Yeah, it, I think it was yes. when you guys. That yeah, was because I, there have been there have been uh, domiciles that I've lived in with my children and wife that were not as nice as the Carolina Club, <laughs> um, or at least my memory of the Carolina Club. So um, part of our time at the Carolina Club uh, involved what I can only describe as a caper. Um, <laughs> that it's a great that word got, to use for it. That got. That, that moved several thousands of dollars of merchandise and cash from one place to the next and also got all of us banned from Home Depot for life. And, <laughs> Speak for um, yourself, pal. Yeah. Walking well, all the time. Us, yeah, <laughs> us that lived in the Carolina Club. Um, and so that kind of, you know, soured the roommate relationship uh, and also I think just lost us the apartment at some point. And so I had to live somewhere. And, um, that was when I decided that I would move in to the sixth street house. Um, not realizing that when I moved in and when I say moved in, what I mean is that I lived on the porch. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you guys remember that or not, but I lived on the front porch. Yes. Yeah. Um, it was the Florida room. It had been closed yeah. in, but yeah. very shoddily. Yeah. It was just like glass. There was no insulation between me and the elements. It was, yeah. it was, it did have windows. Yeah, it was a Florida room. That's good, Shane, for not everybody knows what that is. Uh, so for, <laughs> so for our friends that live, porch. yeah, it's a glassed in porch. That's right. It's a hot um, box with a, lin, with a linoleum floor. Yeah. Yeah. It got box. quite cold in there, um, during the winter months. So w- I moved in, not realizing that as I was moving in, the only person who, who, uh, was a, young woman at the time that we were friends with who had money um not like rich but just she had income like a normal 20 something supposed to um she was the only person whose name was on the lease and as i was moving in she was leaving <laughs> um but but her lease was not up so it was just sort of a like i can't deal with this i'm going i don't care what happens <laughs> Um, <laughs> just pay the rent. And so we did through various sketchy means pay the rent. But that, that was what I remember about my transition into the sixth street house, which I think was initially to give people an idea or a picture in their head. It was one story. So I don't think of it as a large house, but, um, initially we, we called it the fight club house because it was a hundred percent the house from fight club. <laughs> <laughs> if you took because the house for Fight Club, I think, is a northern looking house. But if you made the house of Fight Club in Florida, it would be that house. Yes, yes, I think so. yeah. it was that house. But it was it was two bedroom with the with the finished Florida room. It was one bath, but mm-hmm. huge oh, yeah. backyard, uh, kitchen, dining room. They were not used for those purposes usually. I slept in the kitchen. When I or not in the kitchen, but in the dining room when I moved in. But I remember going over there before anybody lived there because Richie, the guitarist for Same Mistake, was living there. And I think also the the legendary goon Sonny Sweats was also living there. And he cut the whiskers off Crystal's cat, and the cat was just walking into walls and shit. And I was there for some reason, I don't remember. I think Richie was showing me a song that he had written on guitar. And then I didn't go back until you and several of our other friends had already moved in. I replaced Richie. I think he was living on the porch. Ah, yes. Okay. That makes sense. Because I think Richie moved in with 
like Steve and Colby and them somewhere else in Holly Hill, like on yeah. Daytona Avenue. They moved into that Daytona Avenue house with Amelia and Steve and Colby and Jerry. And Colby's cool dog. And Colby's cool dog, who they kept in a cage all day, even though it was a house full of vegans. Don't get me started. <sighs> anyway, <laughs> uh, so what I remember, I recall, is you guys had already been there for a bit. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we were hanging out there quite a lot. And what was – so look, we got to talk about – I'm going to use your word here. Some of the capers. These are things that aren't going to get us in trouble. But, like, the the baseball field in the back, the wiffle ball field. Yeah, the yeah, Kurt Russell Stadium. <laughs> we stole – we misappropriated some bases from a local public park and put them in the backyard and played wiffle ball back there um, in the name of Kurt Russell. And if you hit if you hit the wiffle ball over the fence, it was a home run. And that wasn't really that hard. So mostly it was just like 10-minute wiffle ball games that consisted of Derek annihilating wiffle balls over the fence – getting home runs the other home run was if you could get it through the open window and if and you remember johnny hit it through one day and everybody went nuts Mm -hmm. that was that was a good one now you remember that so we had kurt russell stadium we had the then we had like the meth shed i think we called it it looked like like it looked like where you'd make bathtub drugs Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that place became like i think it was a target for machete practice because at one point Everybody had machetes. <laughs> yeah, so we went to the flea market. So this was about the time that um, a book called The Zombie Survival Guide came out. Yes, yes still have yeah. it. Um, it's, on my, yep. it's on my shelf in my living room. Yep. Thanks, Max, Max Brooks. Max Brooks. He would go on to write uh, World War Z, which became a, a major motion picture. And he really was like the guy who restarted zombies in the zeitgeist. Like after yeah. that, you're getting Walking Dead. You're getting Shaun of the Dead. You're getting... Um, and so we were taking the zombie survival guide very seriously and, um, yeah, there was some reality detachment going on. Yeah. Everybody's straight edge, but still some sort of reality detachment happened. Yeah. Which made it worse in some ways. What is that? Um, it's like fully ado, right? Like that's like where everybody, everybody that collectively like just loses it. Yeah. Yeah. Because when you're on drugs, you can sober up. But when you're just sober, chemically sober, and not in reality, there's no time in which it ends. There's no time. There's no time. Yeah, as, yeah, I was talking about it earlier. So uh, we're very into the zombie survival guide. We go to the flea market, as we were ought to do, and are still ought to do when we're together. Sure. Um, and we went into one of those, like, tented parts of the flea market. Trash town. Um, trash, trash town. Trash town. To find a box labeled Dollar machetes. <laughs> <laughs> that image is one of the most Florida images that there ever could possibly be. Was it written on the side in like Sharpie? For sure. One dollar machete. Yeah. I and so that. they were really, really poorly made machetes, but they were for real machetes. Like yeah. they were metal, metal bladed, you know, machetes. Um, and so we bought all of them. Um, I think it was like, 10 or 20 all in and brought them all home to be prepared because the machete in the, in the zombie uh, survival guide was a very useful tool. That's the melee um, weapon you want. Yeah, that's it. Well, yeah. Second only to the trench spike, which was decided to be the best, but that's yes. a hard thing to come across. Yeah. Um, and so the machetes hung on the walls. 
Um, the machetes were hung in X's on the doors uh, with a crest <laughs> below them that said, die, zombie, die. There, and then there were leftover machetes. And so those machetes were used by Derek as throwing knives. Um, and he kind of gave like a little soliloquy about how he's pretty sure he's the one like Neo and like that this whole thing is just like his matrix. And then he threw a machete and it planted itself in the high branches of a tree in such a way that at least in the moment we were like, I think you might be the one. Like, I don't, I think that this reality is bending to your will at this moment because there's no way you could have made that shot you know any other way the machetes went into doors through doors yeah the machetes were everywhere yeah there was definitely a lot of machetes and a sprinkling of machetes in the sixth street house they were yeah. i mean in in behavior that was just wantonly violent i dare I've, i mean he would throw them in the house into things i've, I've mm-hmm. and and when he would miss it was almost worse than if he landed it in a dresser or in a, a piece of furniture because the handle would smash against whatever it was very loudly and he mm-hmm. wouldn't there'd be no reaction from him you know I, yeah i know yeah so faced we bring up we have to i mean we have to talk about derek i know he's not here to speak for himself but would you i don't remember how see this is how i remember meeting derek i remember seeing him at shows in the early 2000s 2002 2003 he was still shaking off the christian uh ska band that he had been in and he had the he had the long uh he had the long hair not he had the shoulder length black sort of uh Gerard Way hair. Mm-hmm. And I saw him start coming to shows. I'm like, who's this dude? He looks very looks very unique. And then we all got jobs at Power Dial. <laughs> which has it's an integral part of the story. So mm-hmm. I remember the day that I interviewed for Power Dial was the same day that Derek interviewed for Power Dial. And we were sitting in the break room after we'd done our respective uh, interviews with uh, Sasha or Mike Weiner. I can't remember which one it was. We should probably talk about them in a minute. And Derek, there was a boom box in the break room next to the fridge. And he went on to, because you said soliloquy. He did that a lot. He would, he would wax poetic about the most uh, often violent, but you know, completely unrealistic things. He said, I want to one day have an adamantium line gullet so that I can eat in an unhingeable jaw. That was a key element. So that he could he could eat whatever object was disputed and hold it until he could shit it out later and then own it. And I remember being like, man, I got to hang out with this guy. <laughs> so The crazy, I mean, there's lots of crazy things about all this. One of the crazier things is, and maybe this is, maybe it would be good, good to have Derek um, correct this. I seem to remember that through a lot of this, Derek was like 15 and lying about his age. Yes. Yeah. Right? That yeah. is right. Yeah. yeah. So, so at the, so in 2000 in 2003, I think Derek is a year a year or two younger than me or he's about my age, but in 2003 I was like 16, 17 years old. So like yeah, he would have like, been a little bit younger. Yeah, and he would I think fairly often lie about his age to get jobs and stuff, and he was such a big fella. Yeah, that uh, he could, you know, and he had like tattoos and stuff so he could get away with it. Um, So I think that's like an interesting thing to note that like I am 18 going on 19 at this point. So Mikey, you're 19. Derek might have been 15 when he got that job at Power Dial. Yeah. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, that's true. But yeah, but Derek Derek was the Derek was the hockey enforcer of our group and was four years younger than most. He of was us. the goon. <laughs> yeah. He uh, yeah, he definitely was the one that would he would put up the fists, and we all of us who were not very tough. I mean, we had been in scraps and stuff, but we we really liked that. Uh, it, it sort of it made things very interesting to have someone who was willing to be like you know uh, I'm I'm just gonna hit him. <laughs> so, you know what? It, you know what it, no, yeah, you especially know what somebody especially somebody who could like close his eyes and overhand a machete forty feet into the air and <laughs> plant it into a like tree branch. I only I only recently don't miss it. I think I've only recently come out of the like the nostalgia tunnel. <laughs> you know, I think honestly, when it comes to nostalgia, I don't have such a rosy view of it anymore because we've talked a lot about it on this show. And also living in close proximity to it, you see the way it like physically changes the the neighborhood. I was like, oh, this place fucking sucks, man. This would be horrible to live here. Yeah. You know, so it breaks you of it a little more easily, I think. But I, I get what you're saying because yeah, you, I hang on to a little bit of it. It's like it was it was a punk rock summer, man. It was you never that's never going to come this way again. So it's worth remembering. But yeah, to live really. it again would be a nightmare. But okay, really. so we got to talk about Power Dial real quick because Power Dial was a call center that we all got a job at one summer. It was it was you, it was me, it was Scuba Steve's, and it was uh, Derek and Eddie and Sean and all these people. We all got a job at this horrible place where we were to call cold call market research like we had to ask like people did you like the uh did you like the hero clicks that you purchased would you purchase another you know it, it, insane asinine things and we worked with a coterie of of just just monster people but it is true that our our main boss mike weiner was sort of a renfield and the overall boss of the branch Sasha was in fact a daywalking vampire. It is true, he said. <laughs> it's true. Now, we know it's true. true. Now, is it not true that Sasha was a vampire <laughs> and that Mark Weiner, the associate manager, was also his human familiar? He had the characteristic sort of physical deformity, Mike Weiner did, and he was very clumsy and he sort of just, you know, kind of shuffled about the office like, you're the master. And Sasha would only come out. Of, he, he kept the lights off in his office. The blinds were drawn and he would only come. He had a widow's peak like fucking Eddie Munster. His hair was slicked back. He was Romanian. And he would. Did you not see him savor the smell of our blood in that meeting? I will never forget that moment. As he would try to collect himself to talk to us, he would take deep breaths in through his nose, and it really did seem like he was fighting back the hunger. <laughs> and people, people would get that job and then disappear. Like, they just would stop coming in. Now, it couldn't possibly be that they quit like we did, but we figured that they were somewhere in a broom closet. You know, their corpse propped up, bled dry. Nobody yeah. disappeared. There were people who went into that office for a couple of days and then they were gone. <laughs> they probably. I quit. never worked there, so I don't know. <laughs> it was very strange. I bored a hole through my cubicle so I could communicate with Steve because he was on the other side. It was a very. <laughs> God, like thing. My my favorite, like the way you've described this place, in uh, being around a vampire and just like just kind of all the experience there. I cannot imagine Steve cold calling marketing. <laughs> Like that you, of all you, of all of our friends. What's crazy? 
he was like the rock star. Yeah. He was like really good at it. He was a closer, man. And and the rest of us, I didn't get one successful call the entire two months I worked there. Not nope, a I single never, one. I would I hang up on people. Survey. I would I would fucking I would I would change my voice. I did Carl all the time. How you doing? This is uh Carl. You know, I, it was just it was a joke and we all got fired. All of us got fired or quit. <laughs> But it was okay because it was punk rock summer and we had a base of operations for the very first time and it was the 6th Street house. Mm, you, so your timeline's a little messed up there. Okay. Because we we worked at Power Dial the summer before I moved in because it was really? Power. I worked, yeah, because I was at Deck Down Under slinging Hush Puppy Mick. Oh, wait, you were... That and was then I was Steve. at... Yeah, I was at I was at Deck Down Under when I lived with Steve, and then I was at Power Dial when I lived at Carolina Club for a time, and then I got the job back at Walden Books. So I was That's mostly true. at Walden Books You're during right. the Sixth Street House, which was why a lot of the mall shenanigans were happening. The mall shenanigans were integral. <laughs> yeah, because I also I worked at Walden Books, and then I got a second job at the Nature's Table, where we also... <laughs> regularly stole cash out of the out of the register and that place doesn't exist anymore so i think the the statute of limitations is is up um yeah. Yeah. and yeah and then literally just man that mall was was our playground it was i mean i uh i, I was never a thief cuz i'm i'm not a good liar so i i didn't really partake in any of the theft but i benefited from it <laughs> No, you know, for me, for me, it was uh, like you, I was never a good liar, but I was, I knew all the exits. So like, I never walked through the mall. I would walk through the emergency exits in the back rooms and just like sneak out the side doors. Like that was the way you did it. Like, yeah, the six, the sixth street house was our base of operations in the war against re and the war against everything. But, uh, definitely it was our base of operations in the war against hot topic. (laughs) Well, I think also too, just the, the war against growing up. Like, I think that was yeah. like we were like, nah, yeah. we're not doing that. Um, yeah, it was it was the it was the headquarters for for our endeavor to burn the whole world down. It yeah, really it was, was our a, the, It was Fight Club. It was the yeah. Fight Club out. Yeah, like, we had our own Project Mayhem going. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's more did... like Project Nuisance, though. Like it was just like a lot of inconveniences. Yeah, Project Pro- like oh, that's annoying. Project oh, yeah. stop it. Um, so I will blow your car up, but I will slash all four of your tires. (laughs) Where? Okay. So how did Derek enter the, the fray of the house? I don't remember how he wound up there. I honestly don't either. It feels like it all happened at the same time, but I feel like he and I, he might've even moved in a little before me. And then definitely Tom moved in after Crystal moved out. Um, yeah, so but that, I feel like he was there by the time I got. I'm pretty sure he was there by the time I got there. So the when during the heyday, it was you, Tom, and Derek, and Derek. who lived right. under the roof. But Sean lived around the corner. Eddie was always yep. there. I was there a lot, and I lived there for two fucking weeks. Justin was there yeah. a lot. I do yes. remember being woken up to Derek just screaming in my face in lieu of an alarm clock. <laughs> I was sleeping on a cot in the dining room, which had no dining room table. It was just an empty room. And I had, I had, I had quit my house. I had quit my parents' house in a huff because we got into an argument. And I, I remember, I remember this. I remember calling you, and like mm-hmm. even back then, I knew like if something bad happens, 
I could call Matt and he will reassure me. So I called, I called Matt and I, 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 you guys had a landline at the house, which I don't know who was paying for it, but it worked. I called, you picked up and I'm like, dude, I think I got to move out. Can I live with you guys? And you go, sure, dude, come on over. <laughs> so that night I, I, I did, I put everything I, I, I thought was valuable in milk crates, which was my clothes and my records. And I headed over there in my 98 Saturn and I was welcomed with open arms and it was, it was a miserable time to live. I'll never forget your mom brought you cake. It was like cake or pie. She brought, she brought me a pie because she came over a couple days later, knocked on the door. And when I opened it and she saw it, she burst into tears. And you put the pie, you put the pie in the refrigerator. And I came home from work one day, opened the refrigerator. There's like three quarters of a pie there and a little sign on it that says, don't touch this or I will beat an ass. (laughs) But I mean, once we, uh, once we got used to it, we were playing, we were playing wiffle ball all the time in the backyard. We were traipsing around in the middle of the night. It was just, it was a time that like, for me, it's pretty much it was it was it was a formative time. It was irreplaceable. Yeah. You always had Big Trouble in Little China, <laughs> Evil Dead Two, or Dawn of the Dead playing on the on the TV when it wasn't uh Tony Hawk Pro Skater three with us trying to break the score counter. Yeah. <laughs> but like we would we would turn on the cheat code for grinding and then grind on something circular and leave it. Yeah. And just like go to work. <laughs> And then come home to see what the score was. I remember as as years as not years, but as time went on and the place was really falling into disrepair, the door was always open. So I would skip college and I would just come in and sit down. I pick up the sticks. I play Tony Hawk for a while and then I would put it back on the grind and then I'd leave because nobody was there. You'd play Tony Hawk or the only other game we owned. ATV Off-Road Fury. <laughs> with one of the great with one of the greatest soundtracks of all time, <laughs> including Dead Z's Gramercy Park. I got the key, key to Gramercy Park. <laughs> um, Tom worked at the Hess Express station. Yes. The mid the like graveyard shift. So this is also a time in our lives where we got free gas for my car, for my van. <laughs> Um, Derek, I guess worked at a fern farm pushing over trees. Yep. I've, I've since driven past that fern farm. My parents had a cabin out way past it for a couple of years. And I was like, Oh, this is where he was talking about. This is where he found the gun in the, in the weeds that he shouldn't have picked up. And he, he would come home with like wads of cash and just look at me and go, don't ask me where I got this. (laughs) Okay. All right. There was, there was, so there were a lot of shenanigans, but one of the ones that will go down in history is the Gugon, uh, the Gugon incident. So if <laughs> yeah. Matt, would you care to enlighten us as to what happened? Okay. So we're going to jump right to Gugon. Um, <laughs> so we are sitting on the couch, either again, watching Big Trouble in Little China or playing um, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. It's me. <laughs> I'm gonna really. I'm gonna try to keep it together. If you guys have ever seen me try to tell this story, yeah, it it's hard because <laughs> um, to this day is the funniest thing I've ever seen. Uh, it's me, Eddie, and Derek, and um, Tom is in his room now. Tom was in some ways 
uh sort of the pariah he was kind of the like he was the, he tended to be the butt of jokes a lot he which, was the foil he was the foil that's a good yeah we loved him but he was the um, foil yeah and um he was also the only one who in the house at least but like one of the few in the scene that wasn't straight edge and um but we you know me and derek ran a tight ship so when you came into the house it was a sober house or at least you know not emotionally sober but chemically sober so <laughs> we wouldn't let tom bring anything into the house no one was allowed to drink or do drugs in the house and also there was a poser test so you had to be able to name three minor threat songs five danzigera misfit songs and uh you had to be able to name who the third singer of black flag was well and rollins's band before black flag was the other one Oh, that's right. Yeah, um, which I forgot and, now. It's this away. And oh, okay. we found we found out at some point that well, we, we were the landlords were coming over, so we had to try to clean up. Um, and so we started to clean Tom's room to find a bunch of empty Nyquil bottles under his bed. Um, but that's another story. So we're all sitting there. Tom's in his room doing whatever, and then. He was in the habit of doing a thing that I think he called naked baby, where he would just scream, basically, you know, which is not that like, you know, this is a thing people have heard of, right? Streaking. And, um, but it was, it was not like through a quad, it was like in tight quarters. So it was really uncomfortable when he would do it. And we were all sort of prone to that. Like Eddie and I would often, and Derek too, would often, if we knew people who were not necessarily initiated, were coming over we would make sure that we were completely nude on the couch when they would get there <laughs> with maybe like a sock you know covering our our private parts very it's um, a very funny way to be intimidating <laughs> yeah 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 um <laughs> and so uh tom came out of his room as naked baby and derek was either like derek was either working on his guitar he was trying to get a sticker off of something because, you know, anybody who knows like punks or skaters, like stickers all over everything. He, I think he was trying to get a sticker off of his guitar at the time. And so he had a can of Goo Gone, <laughs> which is like adhesive remover in his hand. Tom comes out naked baby and Derek is just like, we're not laughing. Like, I think that's maybe the funniest thing about it is that like Tom did this, but it was like some sad, like perfunctory, like no one's laughing. No, that's not true. Eddie's dying. Laughing. <laughs> yeah, um, of course. Yeah. And and Derek is just like, what the fuck, Tom? And so he throws the, the an open canister of goo gone at Tom. Tom turns so it doesn't hit him in the face, and it hits him in the back and explodes. And I I don't think any of us are really thinking of what I think Derek wasn't even thinking about it. He was just like, you know, mad and threw something. And um, we didn't really consider the fact that, like, this is a very powerful chemical and skin irritant running down a naked man's back into the tenderest parts of, of <laughs> the human anatomy. And so Tom starts screaming like his whole body is on fire. And, you know, you no one listening knows these people. Most people listening don't know who we're talking about tom is, was a football player in high school he's tan he's really a good looking dude yeah. uh and, but yeah. but like a pretty formidable he this is a this is a a broad-shouldered well yeah you know he was our second well, biggest friend yeah he was he was one of our bigger friend friends you know and like played football and stuff um just screaming like a child uh <laughs> at the pain 
um, that he was experiencing uh, and runs <laughs> into his room and just continues to scream. And so finally somebody gets up if I'm remembering this correctly and goes into his room and like, as they open the door, he bursts past them into the bathroom and is like just a whole stream of obscenities. And I hate you guys. I can't believe you did this. And we're dying. I mean, like at this point, all three of us are losing our minds laughing. And he bursts, he bursts out of his room, gets into the bathroom, slams the door, um, locks the door. And then we, And then we hear we hear the bathtub running and he kind of has quieted down at this point, but we hear the bathtub running and Derek is like knocking on the door, like sort of furious and laughing, but also a little concerned. Tom, Tom, are you okay? Tom, do we need to call like chemical control or whatever, (laughs) like poison control? Tom. And then and Tom's like, just fucking go away. Just leave me alone. (laughs) And then so finally, in a weird like, again, a weird sort of show of concern, Derek kicks the door in. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to reveal to reveal to reveal Tom still nude in the bathtub in with his feet up over his head just like gently like splashing water from the faucet onto his like exposed butthole um, and weeping like just weeping uh, trying to get some relief for the terrible burning on his private parts um and that was that was and we at that point when we kicked the door in and saw him there like crying and splashing water like on himself we i mean i've never (laughs) i don't know that i've ever laughed so hard in my life like me and derek and and eddie at that moment in this little hallway leading into the bathroom just melt to the ground (laughs) sobbing laughing just like the most it was the most insane thing I did not spend a lot of time at the house, but this is one of the memories I have, and I wasn't even at the house. So I was talking to Tom, because I guess Tom had a computer, or you guys had internet. You must have, because I was talking to Tom online. I was talking to him through AIM. and Yeah, there was he, a computer yeah, on the floor. So, so that's where it started. So so we're talking, and all of a sudden, his his end goes silent. I was like, oh, Tom's probably busy. And then he comes back later, and he's like, sorry, he ran out, dude. I got goo gone on my ass. <laughs> and I was like, I don't I, like I like immediately I was like, how do you get there? And so like later I hear the story. I'm like, okay, that's pretty good. That's pretty funny. Tom did have his own computer in his room. It was my computer that would sit on the floor. Yeah. And at first I thought I'd be nice and let it be the community computer, but it was abused in several ways. I won't say. Uh, and so I put it. Somebody made in- the background tub girl continuously so made horrible. the background cup, so. tub girl. And then after I moved it into my room, they would go into my room when I was not home and also do that. <laughs> as well as hanging various like satanic implements on my fan. Yeah. When I wasn't home, so I would come home and be upset. <laughs> yeah. That uh yeah, that computer that was the first time I ever saw that image and it's burned into my mind. I always associate that with that little nook by your door, like, oh, that's where I first had my life ruined when I saw that. That, that was an assault. <laughs> it was. I am different after that. Yeah. And I now as a counselor I realize that that was my roommates assaulting me. <laughs> I wasn't there for Gugon, even though I God, I wish I had been. I was there for a few good ones. I was there for the time that Mike Smith Another guy who would hang out occasionally. You went to high school with him. I knew yeah. him through you guys. Yeah. He, uh, sh- oh, we knew. I've known him since like seventh grade. Yeah. Yeah. 
I he shot Tom in the ass with an airsoft gun. <laughs> Because Tom mooned us as he came in, and I was sitting there with Justin and Mike sitting on the couch. We were playing video games, and Tom comes in, and he's like, what's up? And he pulls his pants down, and Mike had the gun already, and he shot him in the ass. And Tom, like, jumped up in surprise and pain, and then ah, ran away. It was, it was pretty great. I wasn't there for that. Um, let's, maybe this would be a good quick like segment here, is just... Mikey and I guess Shane, if you have any, but Mikey, you and I can just describe scenes that we walked into. Let's just do a list to see. I'll go first. Walking into Derek by himself in his underwear, throwing a set of throwing knives. So he's sitting on the couch with one foot on the coffee table, just blithely hurling throwing knives at the wardrobe. (laughs) Um, And I just walk past and go to my room. Sure. Um, yeah, definitely being uh, sitting on the couch and then having Derek and Tom or Derek and Eddie burst in excitedly to tell me that they found a stack of Bad Boys 2 posters <laughs> in the dumpster behind the FYE <laughs> and that we were going to hang them up in the house. And I said, guys, that's like 150 cinema-sized promotional posters where are we going to hang those up and they said everywhere (laughs) and so the living room of this house was literally wallpapered with bad boys 2 promotional posters the same poster over and over over and over over again um yeah i remember walking into the house and seeing that um I've, i've seen that and i saw the couch with the whittled dick (laughs) <laughs> uh, both that, yeah, both, but the the couch had a wood frame, and Eddie took it upon himself to whittle the handles of the couch into penises. Both mm-hmm. both handles, very into... anatomically correct as well, proportional. Yeah, he really spent some time on it. I I remember walking up to the house, and Derek was had a golf club. No, it was me. Oh, that was you. Okay. Yeah, I had a toothbrush in my mouth, was wearing a captain's hat, <laughs> no looked, shirt. You looked like Hunter S. Thompson <laughs> in the throes of a bender. And I walk up and you're you have the golf club and you're driving canned food into the fence. Yep. And I, yeah, I had I, a I had a driver and I was just hitting canned food like golf balls. Yeah. Into- and I walk up and I'm like, Hey dude, hey, what's up? And we just hung out. I remember also walking into the living room and there were two giant paper bags and in those paper bags were donuts from Java world, I think, or whatever it was called. And those Java junction, Java junction. Yeah. And I remember sitting down on the couch and I remember someone putting the PlayStation controller in my hand and every so often I reach in and get a donut and I'd be like, man, this is really something. Yeah, Derek came in with two giant trash bags full of donuts and said, hey, I found these in the dumpster behind Java Junction. And I was like, where are you going to put them? And he goes, hang on a second. And then he pulls the glass panel off of the coffee table and puts them in the coffee table. There are so many moments where he would do something that I'd be like, what are you doing? I'd be like, hold on. And then he'd go do something that you didn't think could or should be done, but he did it. Yeah, like, uh, yeah, like just getting frustrated and punching the boards out of the back (laughs) fence um, and they would just fly. Yep. And it was pre Sixth Street House, I believe, because you were still at Carolina Club. But when he when I that night that we tried to go pool hopping in Emory Riddle and his car died five or six times 
over the two miles it took to get to the Emmy Riddle high dive pool and jumping it multiple times and then having the minivan, your van knows it through intersections while Derek and I sat on the trunk and Tom steered or perhaps you steered and Tom was driving the van. I can't remember which, but I remember jumping it off to push it through the intersection with the light. And then uh, he, he had gotten so mad that he had ripped the hood off his car and thrown it up, up. And I saw that. I've never seen anything like that. He kicked the back of a bus bench in half. Like he was so angry. It was it was I I just when I when you see something like that, you're like, this is a this is a superhuman person. What is happening? I I'm kind of shocked that we've gone through this whole episode without talking about the mannequin or like the dummy. <laughs> the dummy, right. Because there would be times where I had driven by the house and I would see the dummy laying about. Um, or like, like they would be positioned a certain way. Like, cause my uncle, my aunt and uncle lived like around the corner. They lived like just a block away. So I'd always be there for like holidays and just visiting and stuff. So like there are times where I drive by the sixth street house and there would be like it, every now and again, there would be a, a dummy just hanging out. Yeah. They, they threw, I remember one time Eddie did it. He like threw his bike down or something and made it look like a bike wreck. And the dummy, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> he threw the dummy like in the, in the bushes. <laughs> I don't even remember this. Do you remember the the neighbor across the street who opened the door, pissed his pants, and fell down one time? <laughs> I was never that either. Surrounded by meth heads, that place. Yeah, truly. I let me tell you about the time the landlord came over, and I was the one who was unlucky enough to be there. And uh, I found out later that the landlords knew my uncle, mm. and talked to my uncle about the sixth street house which led to my uncle going to my parents and trying to get me baker acted oh my god and my parents were like he's not on drugs and literally like it was like there's no way he's not on <laughs> you know my uncle's response and so i sat down and talked to the the landlord and it was basically the like hey we're gonna kick you guys out talk you know if you don't if you don't straighten up and uh you know they were older but you know, he had a ponytail. It's kind of that one, that kind of deal. And it was just like, look, we lived through the sixties. Like we get it. You know, you guys are young and, but if, you know, if you're going to party, you have to party somewhere else. Like you can't do drugs in the house. And I was like, ma'am, we are not doing drugs in this house. None of us do drugs. And she goes, son, nobody punches the panels out of a fence sober. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, that was a moment for me where I was like, I really am not on the same level of reality as, as most people. <laughs> so I guess like what, where, when did the end come? Cause it was, it was short lived. I mean, how long was that? It was a year maybe. Just, it wasn't even a year. Just it was like under six a year? months. Yeah. God. Probably all in like six months, maybe two seasons, like a winter, a winter and a spring. Yeah. Um, cause I moved out and then moved in with, uh, Mike Ireland and, uh, Dino. Oh, at the castle. At the castle for a while. Yeah. Which, which no longer is exists. no longer there. Yeah. Which literally isn't even there. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, it wasn't that long. I don't really know. I mean, like for me, the end was just like all the stuff with the girlfriend and the, and the depression and like it just you know it was like typical mental health stuff like the thing that becomes the most fun suddenly becomes a thing that's killing you um and so i was just like i'm out i don't care what happens to this place and then everybody kind of followed suit 
And then I went there one time to pick something up. My mom was with me and I think she also cried, <laughs> but everyone had already gone and they had like, they had taken like VHS tapes and cassette tapes and broken them and just thrown the like celluloid all over the place. Oh, and like lit off a fire extinguisher, yes. like it was trashed. I remember this because this happened after you had exited. Oh yeah, and that was when other people started hanging out there. Like Jared Carmen, uh, hang hung out there for a little bit, and some other people. And the place got destroyed. All the furniture was beat to hell. I mean, the they set off a fire extinguisher in the house. Somebody took a shit in your old room and left it there. Matt yeah. G put a flag in the shit. And I mean, it was just, it was this, it became a nightmare. And so I was, I had gone to class one day and I pulled up because I was, I guess I was, Derek was still there. So I was going to see what he was up to. I opened the door and my eyes stung from the trash from the fire extinguisher chemicals from all the, it just hadn't been ventilated in, in months. And there was just literally refuse all over the floor, but the PlayStation and the TV still worked and were still on. And I sat, I remember <laughs> planting myself on a pile of trash and playing video games for about two minutes. And I kind of looked around, my eyes were watering and I was like, I mean, even I can tell this has gone a bit too far. <laughs> and I just, Set it down. That was the last time I was in there. I just got up and walked out. One time there were so many dirty dishes in the sink that we just threw them away and went to Big Lots and stole new dishes. <laughs> I can remember sitting there. and so good, man. <laughs> I can remember sitting there one time and there was like, it was a bunch of, it was like the whole crew. It was a bunch of us. And like somebody walked in i can't remember who it was and i wouldn't want to say because it's incriminating anyway but somebody walked in and was like i was gonna do my laundry at my parents but they pissed me off so i just threw my laundry away and stole more laundry from the gap <laughs> and then derek just looks around the room and he goes guys we live a life of crime <laughs> <laughs> and i was just like we really do <laughs> like we that because I feel like it was a weird thing, too, where I don't know if it was just that we expected more shows to be happening or there was maybe some sort of lull in shows. I think maybe there's like a problem with the coffee connection or it was like when things were deteriorating with Skeletor or whatever. Yeah. And so there was like less shows and with less and with that being our only concentrated activity, it left us with really dangerous free time. And so like crime really went up. <laughs> um, I mean, I could just remember going into the trails and just being like, we're just going to vandalize expensive cars <laughs> or like, we're just going to like, dude, w why do you need three copies of Slipknot's Iowa on vinyl? It's like, I don't know. Cause it was in the hot topic. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, uh, you know, like were you with us when we spray painted the church sign? No, I wasn't there for that. Oh man. And then the fighting, who was it? It was the kids. It was like what we considered the mall kids. Yeah, it was the kids that went to the metal lounge Tim. eventually. Right. Oh man, Tr trash can Tim. Yeah. Oh boy. And it was just it was just some new trouble every night. Yeah, I guess wasn't this is was this around the time that Derek punched a kid so hard his parents got divorced? Yeah, yes. which is also I wrote about uh, using aliases in the in the upcoming book. But yeah, oh, that sorry. no, yeah. it's it's fine. It was just that was that 
that was when it got bad, I guess. And it was also, it was also the demise of Total Recall, which yeah. you had left, and we decided to have Tom sing, and so we got Josh uh, moved over on guitar, and I booked a tour all the way up and back to New York. I used Book Your Own Life. I used my, it was before MySpace. I used phone numbers and emails. I scrounged off websites. I pieced it all together. We got to South Carolina and like, it just, we realized we didn't have enough money. I called the next guy, the next promoter. He said the show was canceled. I'm like, what are we going to do? We ended up, uh, we went to the movies and slept in the theater, Kill Bill 2. And then just said, fuck it. And we drove home and it took us like 10 hours <laughs> and on that drive. And this is how I knew I knew it was over. Like Tom and Derek got in a horrible fight and Tom was eating sunflower seeds and he was spitting them into a cup. And I was driving because he refused to drive his own van. <laughs> so we were trying to relive the first trip where we had so much fun and had so many shenanigans and he's eating the sunflower seeds and spitting them out. And then he just tips them out the window going like 90. And they all blew back all over my face. And I was like, Tom, I swear to God. <laughs> like, it was. And then he ended up pitching a fit, um, which he had every right to do because Derek kicked him out of his own van. And we pretended to leave him at a truck stop at 430 in the morning that was covered with roaches. And... <laughs> You know, when we got back, relationships were strained, and that was it for the band, and as far as I know, that was it for the house. Yeah. I mean, I think we really just hit that, like, I've heard it said in business that you never want to be in the middle, right? You either want to be the cheapest or the most expensive. You never want to be the middle. Yeah. And I think that that was, it became lukewarm. Like, it became the wet middle, where it was like... We either needed to, we came to an impasse where we either needed to clean up and like grow up a little bit or, you know, at least like get our shit together. We need, we needed to either do that. We needed to go full commune and like, like actually, you know, like stop wearing shoes and be like, um, Gainesville level, you know, like hippie punks and just make that life work or be full on, you know, want to be DMS you know, like, like street criminals, yeah, like criminals, <laughs> um, yeah, sure. like, like, you know, real street criminals that are doing actually truly bad things you can get arrested for. Um, and we just didn't want to do I, any of those three things. And so eventually it just kind of like deteriorated as we hovered in the middle. Yep. Um, but it was, boy, it was a time. It was, <laughs> it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the weirdest of times. It was truly definitive, I think, for all of us. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I I just, I don't know. I, I always say that without, you know, those experiences, without Total Recall, without Daytona Hardcore and, like, participating and all that, I, I just, I wouldn't have the same sense of humor. I wouldn't even have the yeah. same friends. I wouldn't. It just, it, yeah. it truly, as stupid as it sounds and as short of a time as it was, it was very formative. Well, and it really solidified our alienation from other adults for the rest of our lives, because those are the those are the years that everybody tells stories about. Yeah, for the most part, Shane, you were a yeah. little younger, so you weren't quite you weren't supposed to be in college yet. 
No, well, me and no, Mikey... I mean, Eddie and I are the same age. So, like, it's, oh, yeah, like, it's like, we're not, I'm not that much younger. So, it was just that I was always, like, when when everybody would do shit, I'd be like, that's a bad idea. I'm going to go home. <laughs> and I would avoid it. Like, yeah. it, you know, and, I mean, I was still doing that stuff, but I was, like, I was more, like, you yeah. know. Dipping my toe, like when when you know when people started throwing pumpkins into like firing pumpkins with a a, a catapult into the road at cars, I was kind of like, that's a bad idea. I don't like that. Yeah. That sounds dangerous. Somebody could die. And especially like I didn't hang out at that house a lot because my uncle was down the road, so like yeah. I couldn't imagine him going to work and then seeing me like stuffing a firecracker in Tom's face and then you know watching him <laughs> run around screaming about how his mouth was hot. <laughs> You remember when we would like soap sud the fountains and like shut down A1A? Yeah, 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 I remember that. Like pouring whole jugs of detergent into like hotel front fountains. Um, Yeah, Perry's. What is it? Perry's. Yeah, Perry's. Uh, You guys did that at Perry's. I remember. I ran through it and I couldn't breathe. It was. It was. I mean, I was 19. Mikey, you were 19. Or I was, 18, 19. Well, we should have been in tw- college. I was 20, I think. Uh, I turned 20 during You were that. 20. I was 19. So mm-hmm. we should... Normal people are in college. I was. I just dropped also, out. Also... You're right. But I mean, like, also doing... You know, also having... Sowing their wild oats or whatever, right? Like, also having their first, like, I'm... Hey, mom and dad can't tell me what to do experiences. Yeah. In college. But, you know, then they go and they meet other people who were in college. Like, I was... I went to a crazy party or I drank too much or whatever. And there's like camaraderie, but like these years where we air quotes should have been doing that, or most people do that. And we were doing this, it pretty much solidified like a level of alienation for the rest of my life. Well, it's the stories that when you share them or like, if you talk about any of these experiences, people are like, you, what? What'd you do? What'd you do? Yeah. 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 yeah, That's what I did. Yeah. My, there's a band from Richmond called hold tight that I really like uh, really close friends of mine. And they had, you know how like pop punk bands will do like the wonder years did it. Like we'll have themes like where they say the same word and different songs or same phrase. And their thing was like the secret. They would talk about the secret and it's just that thing that like you, it's that thing that you just, you share, you know, you can even meet other punks that, you know, don't have it, Mm -hmm. but like, you know, when you meet someone else who, who knows the secret, yeah, and it's so few people really at the end of the day, but that's what it is. It's like it's it's the thing. Um, well, but u- and I think, ultimately, most people don't know it. Yeah, and I think that's kind of where, like, because because I think that some of those, you know, when we had the experiences in the Second Street Sixth Street house, like it wasn't at that level of depravity because I yeah. think that like you know like some of us had lived through it and been more responsible but there was still stupid <laughs> shit that happened that it was kind of like oh like this is you're right like we are still children pretending or playing at adults and just be and then and then realizing that like we shouldn't be responsible for anything well so that that's probably a good place to before we close this episode out we we do have to speak of the sequel it wasn't as filthy it wasn't as crazy but it was about what uh f- five or six houses uh down the street yeah it's literally it was just on the other side of center street and it was strange man because there was no reason for me to be on sixth street or center when after the sixth street house went bust and here we were five years later four years later maybe Maybe it was even, 2007. Okay, so even just four, yeah, four, three, four years later, here we are hanging out again. But it was Sean's dad's house. Eddie yeah. lived there. 
Pat lived there, so we had some new faces. And it was Eddie, Pat, and Sean. Yeah, and I mean, it was it was a cool a cool place in and of its own. We would watch I Love New York a lot because Kareem was supposed to be on it, but he never he never he didn't actually get on it. But yeah, uh, <laughs> we did that. Well, you know, you know how I know this was different than the original Sixth Street House is I was willing to bring my child there. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, like I w- I felt I felt that it was safe enough to bring my own child that I d- had not yet had full custody of um, at that time. That I was like I, I'm like I'm not worried even about losing custody of my child during this <laughs> scenario. So like it's good. Yeah, it's worth mentioning for maybe people who don't aren't familiar with the punk rock experience. Punk houses are sustainable. They can be gross. They can be whatever. But there are like generational punk houses. Not yeah, every yeah. punk house is a, like we were living to die. Like <laughs> yeah. We were we had no. And I think that's where it came to an end for me was when I did actually become suicidal. I was like, no, I was like, no way. I actually don't want to die because me and Derek, at least and maybe Tom, to some extent, were just like, I don't care if I live or die. It doesn't matter. And I don't, and not in a sad way, but in a like, I don't, yeah, I'm just going to throw knives at the windows because I don't care. I don't care what happens to me next. And, yeah. But not all punk houses are like that. Like, you can have a punk house and it not be as gnarly as the first Sixth Street house. And yeah. yeah. The second one sounds like a more, maybe. It was it was a mill, functional more home. Typical. It was a functional yeah. home, definitely. Yeah, it was like a hangout. It was like more of like a like it was like you could hang out there and not worry about like you know uh, naked baby or anything like that. Right. But you did shoot. Uh, Julian did or Pat shot the window out with a potato gun. Uh, I would like to say we did that all together. <laughs> so the four of us, the four of us, we did have a potato gun inside the house. Um, and And. Uh, Great start. Um, And uh, just as a preface for this, it was loaded. Um, But for some reason, it was loaded and like ready to fire. And it misfired several times because Pat pointed it at his face and was like, "Ah, there's no potato in here. Uh, And like pressed the button multiple times and it did not fire. And then at some point in time, it like missed because it misfired several times while I was pointing at his face. And then uh, we leaned it over and, and fired it in the house accidentally. And shot out the the chandelier, shot out the jealousy windows, uh, and we were all just like, "Oh, Sean's gonna be so mad, <laughs> be so mad, so mad." Um, yeah, so we shot a potato inside the house. Um, much to all of our surprises, we were not prepared for that. That was a strange time in my life because I was roommates with Amelia, and we were living over at that house on Gardner, which was a complete and utter nightmare. And yeah. I spent time over at that the other house because it was a nice escape. And you you would drive me to and from, and you would drop me off, and I would get out of your bag and just flop like a bag, of, or get out of your car yeah. and just flop like a bag of trash because I was yep. not I was not in a happy place. But it was it was a I enjoyed it. There like that was where the Waffle House story was launched from was from that particular yeah. house. I'll always remember it for that. Um, well, there was a, there was a, they didn't have enough furniture, so they had a wheelchair for a chair. And so my brother would always, anytime he was at the house, he was sitting on the wheelchair. Um, and I wasn't there for when this happened, but they guess like there was a neighbor that was always coming over to hang out and like talk, like use the phone or something like that. Yeah. What, is that what he was doing? And yeah. so like, I guess, so, so you probably know better at this point in time, but my, but basically this starts with my brother is anytime this guy sees my brother, my brother is in a wheelchair. Yeah. And then something happened outside 
and everybody, like the neighbor comes over to be like, hey, dude, this is ha-. like something was going on outside. I can't remember what it was. I think it was fireworks. I think it was the summer. I don't remember. And everybody stands up and Jesse stands up and the dude turns and just goes, puts his hand out straight. He goes, you can walk, bro. <laughs> <laughs> That was a that was such a good moment, man. And I don't, you know what? And and I've heard the story so many times. I may not even been there, but Jesse has told me a million times what happened. And that's, I think that's the that's like the main standout. I mean, because the rest of the rest of the time there was fairly normal. It was like, like I said, like you could go down, walk to the corner store, and and at some point in time, somebody bought like bootleg porn, and like it was they would just play it all the time in the house, and you yeah. know, Pat's room was full of disgusting things, and just it was like it was like a fairly normal. It was weird to go in and especially knowing how the other sixth street house was and being there and being like oh this is like yeah, someone like, vacuumed somebody vacuumed <laughs> it was and it was my first experiences with pat who when they got the daytona house on daytona ave there was a time when pat who's a wonderful person i think I, I know that certain people that we we love don't love him anymore but he uh he became sort of like the kramer to my George slash Jerry. And uh-huh. he would, his harebrained schemes would bleed over into my life. And I would find myself doing stupid things and not realizing this was in the 2010s when I had joined Axis. And like we, to the point where we stapled a screen on his window and realized we had stapled ourselves outside on the roof and couldn't get down. Many things like that <laughs> where I was just like, Pat, what are we doing? And he's just like, I don't know, man. So. You know, the, the craziness continued, but over the years, it it got less and less intense until now. Here we are on a podcast talking about the old days and the filth and the fury. I, what, I, what I've learned about these stories is that I could not have survived in the <laughs> Sixth Street house. Like, I'm too fragile for that life. Like, I couldn't have survived a week, um, let alone having lived there. And just kind of suffering through that. I almost, I almost didn't survive my two weeks, man. I was very uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, I was very invested. I talked to my therapist about this a lot. Um, I was, <laughs> I was, I was the product of a dad that was from an upper middle class family and a mom that was from Holly. I mean, literally, like my mom grew up not far from the Sixth Street house. Yeah, um, and. Holly Hill was no better than maybe it was worse. Um, and so the product of, of like those two worlds. And so I lived, I grew up in a very privileged environment, definitely upper middle class, but with a mom who always kind of had an attitude of like a little bit of like, you guys are soft. Like you're lucky. You're lucky that your dad and I can provide for you this way. And so I was like blood and bone committed to proving that I was not soft, that I could survive, and that I could do things on my own. And so when I look back, like hearing you say that, Shane, reinforces some thoughts that I've had about like, I look back and I'm like, man, I can't believe some of the environments that I existed, that I managed to exist in, having grown up in relative like comfort and privilege. But it was because I was just like so, like me living on the futon mattress on the floor at Steve's apartment with Sean and Brad. That place place was just a den of debauchery. It was worse than homelessness in some ways. (laughs) Like I literally lived there and then the dude that lived on the couch was cooking meth in a bathtub like four blocks from there. (laughs) 
Was that the house that burned down that one night? Remember down the street, no. the fire? Well, down the yeah, there was a fire right next door. Yeah, yeah. We that all place went out was haunted. Yeah, we watched it burn. That, that place was haunted. One time, the, a game of you was staying there, and and the double bass pedal from the from the drum kit just started going in the middle of the night. Yeah, Steve said he saw he saw a ghost, uh, like a little boy, run up and down the hall, or like chain, yeah, m- turn his stereo off and on. There were footsteps. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, do you, the, do you know that, what it's that like? Ghost, that ghost turned Steve's stereo off because he was listening to Bonnie Prince Billy or some <laughs> shit that nobody wanted to hear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh man, yeah. So I think about I think about that a lot, where I'm just like. I can't believe I was the one that lived there. Like, I can't believe it was me that did those things and, like, lived in those environments. Uh, it's kind of crazy. I'm not particularly, like, finicky now. I'm kind of glad that I did because it really let it – it let it, it – like, for instance, if Jenny's sick or something and I, I go sleep on the couch, it's not a big deal for me. I'm just like, no, I'll just go sleep on yeah. the couch. Like, I don't – you know, like, I did – it did – it did uh, kind of like being in the military for four years kind of just like sets a baseline for people moving forward. It was that yeah. for me. Well, I'm glad you I'm glad you went through it as well, because I got to live vicariously through you. <laughs> so there was it was always like, oh, what's going on at the house? I better get over there because there's going to be some adventures and shenanigans. And then at the end of the night, I'll be able to unplug and go home <laughs> again. Not to bring down the tone, but do you remember because of that, though, do you remember the crushing disappointment of when there wasn't? Like when we just couldn't find anything to get into? And it we was would the sit, worst. just sit there in the living room. And it, I remember, you know, we would laugh for a while. Like we'd, we'd crack each other up for a few hours and then soon my face would hurt and then my ass would fall asleep from sitting on that horrible couch. And then we would just be staring into the middle distance. Someone would be throwing a knife, probably Derek. <laughs> And yeah, it, it, it got, it was like we were squeezing the life force out of ourselves almost. We wanted yeah, so l- badly to get into something that, you know, we would just wring ourselves out and realize like there's nothing there and we would just, fuck, I guess I'll go Ugh. home. God, I can remember like moving to Richmond being like drinking clear water for the first time. Cause it was just like, <laughs> if you want to go do something you can go do something because this is a city yeah like it it quickly turned into no i don't want to do anything tonight like can we just hang out can we just like stay in because just that feeling of growing up in that environment of where we of ormond daytona whatever of just like getting in trouble was so fun but when there was nothing to do just like the fact that there was truly nothing to do verse there were things to do we were just choosing not to do them yeah it was was brutal well yeah because it's 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 the truth laid bare when there's nothing crazy to cover it up and you realize you you, because then you have to look at yourself and how you're living and what you're doing and then it's scary yeah Yeah. and and somehow none of us got into mudding (laughs) dude nobody could afford a truck with tires like that yeah tom had a fucking scooter (laughs) we somebody somebody at some point in time would have stolen a truck to go mud, like you know what I mean. Like that's yeah, that probably would have it never there it never got to Grand Theft Auto. Like so, like I guess that's a level of like I, you know we did have boundaries. I guess yeah, there were some, yeah. but they were they were quickly falling. If the nucleus, like if the group hadn't fragmented, if the house had stayed and we had been able to stay, or you know we'd all been able to hang out there, it probably would have gotten worse to the point where somebody would have gotten the fact that only one or... of our core friends ended up in jail. 
is a testament to us getting out of that quickly. Yeah, and completely unrelated to the 6th Street house. Yeah. <laughs> Though yeah. I'm sure the values reinforced at the 6th Street house did not help that particular situation. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I almost went to jail, but not quite. That's true. I think that was that was the other thing, too, was it was just like we hit the impasse where we were like, are we afraid of jail or not? And we definitely decided at that point we are afraid of jail. We do not want to go to jail. If yeah. we had decided I'm really not that afraid of going to jail, things would have taken a turn. I mean, like we would have bumped it up a notch. It would have been bad. Taking things up a yeah. notch. You're kicking it up a notch. But, yep. It was what a time. What a time to be alive. Well, I mean, I I guess I mean we could go on more, but I know Matt's fading, he's tired. I'm tired too. I gotta go to the eye doctor in the morning. Yeesh. So Well, look, guys, thank you for coming down this nostalgic trip down memory lane with us. It's filled with broken windows and <laughs> broken bones. Machete practice. And machete practice. So I mean, Shane, you want to just let's let's shout out these patrons. Matt's here, so he knows. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Mike Osborne, Laura Crosby, Kate Neal, Amelia Andrews, Matt Fisher, who who is here? Uh, this I mean, guy. I paid to be uh, on the show. <laughs> there he is. Uh, Jessica Crane, Mario Cipriano, Christian Pearly, Nancy Crozier, Emily Lawson, Jess Demarco, Casey Crawford, Brian Stewart, Tyler Lagasse, Joe Bergano, Bob Hughes, Chris Crabtree, and Sam Kuby. Yeah. We made it to 200. Thanks to you all. Thank you, guys. Be- we're Thank you, everyone, for listening. 200 episodes, not to pat us on the back too much, but hey, we've only missed one week out of 200 episodes, and it's because a literal natural disaster curb stomped us. Yeah. So we thank you for coming along with us and listening for 200 episodes. Hopefully there's 200 more before we completely lose our minds and we turn into a couple of rattling skeletons in front of microphones. But we thank you because if you weren't listening, we'd still do it, but it would be dumb. Yeah, agreed. So, all right. Well, uh, I guess it's going to do it for us this week. We're going to be back next week with a fun start to a new deep dive. So until then, annihilate this week. Long live Kurt Russell. Hail to it. And good night, Taco 